2: Thanks for listening and glad you could be with me today. This is your weekly health and wellness update. This is a show that goes over the latest in health and healing, nutrition, fitness, and everything we can do to live a happier and hopefully a longer life. I hope you guys are ready for some good uh, articles this week. This show is for educational purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice. It is not intended to treat, diagnose, prevent, or cure any illnesses, so please always consult your physician when wanting to embark on any new health programs. You can go to georgebatista.com uh, which is a lot more functional these days. And you can actually now uh you can ask me any questions through that site. You can also read the articles that I post through there as well, which I post them on Facebook, but you can see them uh, actually on the site as well. And um, I've got a lot of, um, I'm going to start to have some products on there that I review on a regular basis. So you can um, check them out for yourself. So it's it's a lot more functional. I think uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you guys will be able to enjoy it. And then as well, you can always do your, um, you can speak to me through there and do consulting through there as well. So what do we got on tap for this week? Uh, First thing we're going to talk about is, we're going to talk about how flavonoids uh, from different vegetables actually are killing human pancreatic cancer cells. I bet that's something you've never heard before. So we're going to talk about that because that's actually mainstream news from UPI.com. We're going to talk about abdominal fat and obesity in general and how its triggers for heart disease and cancer development but new research has shown um, the mechanisms of it and, um, how, you know, we're going to talk about how we can prevent it and what, what we need to do because, um, many men and women in general are dealing with these types of things. Um, one of the biggest things that I've talked about in the past here is, uh, deficiency and deficiency seems to be, I, I would say deficiency is probably one of the biggest, Uh, markers of disease in general and um, because it does you know deficiency can and does create inflammation. So we're going to talk about deficiency as it relates to uh, vitamin B12. That's going to be our spotlight for this week. Vitamin B12 and what it does, what happens when you don't have enough and how deficient are you because most you know there are a lot of people who are deficient in vitamin b12 it's more um common than people think so i'll talk about that and why um you should be concerned about that then we're also going to go over seven things you can you that you may be doing that impair your workouts so a lot of people are working out and not getting the results that they want and they 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 don't Realize that they may be doing one of one or more of these things, and it's actually hindering their workout. So I'll go over that. That's from uh dot com, or Mark Sisson talks about that. So <clears throat> let's get started. First article here we have. It's from <clears throat> this is actually from upi dot com. It's a mainstream article, so I wanted to highlight this because. One of the things that I've talked about a lot is how there are compounds out there in vegetables uh, that are able to tell the difference between, uh, for example, cancer cells and normal cells. But not only that, they're actually able to um, have such an effect on different types of cancer cells and rogue cells and things like that that they're actually able to kill cancer cells and leave the healthy cells alone and I've always wanted to see more mainstream research on this. Well we've got some good stuff on it now because this is out of the University of Illinois and what they did was it was a study where they found that using flavonoids uh, as a pretreatment before administering a a chemotherapeutic drug inhibited an enzyme that facilitated killing human pancreatic cells I mean that's that's very interesting. Now, this was a uh, this was a big study that actually talks about apigenin. Okay, now apigenin, okay, is um, is found is you know is is found mostly in in flavonoids. Uh, for example, things like celery, artichokes, oregano, those types of things, and apigenin, it says here that apigenin alone induced cell death in two aggressive human pancreatic cancer cell lines. Um, they found that apigenin inhibited an enzyme called glycogen synthase kinase 3 beta. You know, they have these long names for all these different types of en- enzymes and stuff like that. But In essence, what it's saying is that it led to a decrease in the production of anti-apop apoptotic genes in pancreatic cells so basically apoptosis uh in lay language what this means is that apoptosis means a cancer cell death okay so that's when you know the cancer cell is either you know self-destructs or it's you know programmed cell death that type of thing well there are there are some you know cancer cells that are you know tend to be anti-apoptotic Apoptotic, which means that they're not going to kill themselves. <laughs> but what this, what th- what the apigenin did was that it h- actually helps to inhibit an enzyme that uh, caused the self destruction of these cancer cells. Uh, and and um, you know because the uh, cancer cell DNA ended up getting damaged. Now this is interesting because in one cancer cell line, and I and I thought. This was pretty interesting. The the percentage of cancer cells undergoing apoptosis went from eight point four in in cells that had not been treated with the flavonoid to forty three point eight percent in the cells that had been treated. So that's that's very significant. And the, the, what I what I liked about this was that in this case no chemotherapy drug was used. So. In that case specifically, there was actually no chemotherapy drug now they they did they did different ones They did one where there was uh you know it was the flavonoid was used first, and the chemotherapy drug was used afterwards and they got you know it, was, it became pretty successful but then they had one where there was no chemotherapy drug used at all and it and again the apoptosis rate went from eight point four percent to forty three point eight percent okay very very significant. So again, you know what this t- what this is telling us is that the flavonoids and the compounds in these different types of foods, and um, you know, and, and we and again we're we're talking about foods that are that are very important for the human diet. Again, like celery and artichokes, but you know, things like broccoli, things like spinach, things like you know kale. All these different types of of um, vegetables that have these compounds in it that are extremely important that are cancer killing compounds which you should have in your diet on a regular basis and it's showing here that these cancer killing compounds actually work and they actually work against pancreatic pancreatic cancer cells. Now we know that pancreatic cancer is you know a, a very 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 difficult cancer to deal with because most of the time that people have been diagnosed with it, it's already kind of ravaged their you know their pancreas, and there's really not much they can do. So this is promising research on this. Um, the problem with pancreatic cancer is a lot of times that people have had it already for you know 10, 20 years by the time they detect it, and we know that obviously the cancer industry, you know, is more there you know it's cancer is big business basically so you know we know that cancer industry is a a lot more in love with their drugs and their chemotherapies and all these types of things and you know um, and that's more mainstream and that's you know used on a regular basis to deal with these types of cancers but it's nice to see that there's actually some research going out that actually is using you know different types of flavonoids and using different types of compounds to see what kind of effect they have on this and um, I really hope a lot more research goes into this because um, you know this is this could be another way to deal with it you know and I, I always say that you know if you're dealing with cancer and you want to use more natural methods you know you know this this shows that you can use an actual you know a natural method with a mainstream method and you can get a success rate of killing cancer cells. Now, is this going to be a one-shot cure? Is this going to cure pancreatic cancer? Nobody nobody knows because there is no cure for it at this point. But at least this is a step in the right direction. And, um, you know, this can lead to bigger things. Okay, next, I'm going to talk about abdominal fat. Uh, abdominal fat storage found to be trigger to be a trigger for heart disease and cancer development. Now, this is from... Uh, Natural News, John Phillip. Okay, So, um, we're going to talk about a couple of different studies here. And the first one uh, was a team of Swedish researchers and they were publishing their work in the Plaus Medical Journal, uh, Plaus Medicine. And they talk about how, um, how just adding a few extra pounds can actually raise the risk of heart failure by 17%. Now the prior studies, have, they, they, they didn't determine whether obesity was the actual cause, but it was just maybe a marker of it, but they, it, this is actually citing a cause which is interesting because uh, what they did was they, uh, in this study they used a new technique to examine obesity and determine if being overweight is a valid trigger for cardiovascular disease. So the lead researcher at the Department of Medical Sciences and Science for Life a laboratory uh, it says that we already we knew already that obesity and cardiovascular disease often occur together. In this study, we found that individuals with gene variants that led to increased body mass index also had an increased risk for, uh, of heart failure and diabetes. Okay? And there was a, uh, also a separate study that showed... And this was out of the American College of Cardiology. It found that carrying too much uh, fat around the abdomen puts people at greater risk for uh, heart disease and cancer compared with people who had similar BMI, which is body mass index, but who had who you know carry their fat in other parts of the body. So, you know, and, and, and by the way. In the in this follow up, there was there was a um, there was a follow up which was with n- there was ninety heart related events, one hundred and forty one cases of cancer, and seventy one deaths from all cause among the participants. Now, what does this mean? Well, we know, it, and people have to realize that that. Uh, your fat, okay, whether it's in your guts or whether it's all around your body, you know. Sometimes men carry tend to carry their fat more around their gut area. Women tend to carry it more on their hips, hips and thighs. But your fat in general, your you know white adipose tissue, is constantly storing and releasing fat. Now a lot of people think that your white adipose tissue or your fat is just kind of an inert, you know, object. It's just kind of there, doesn't do anything. But it it is actually actively uh, promoting hormone secretion, you know, again, such as hormones like leptin, hormones like adiponectin, hormones like cortisol, Um, and, you know, it affects these hormones. It actually makes it more difficult to lose body weight, okay. But your fat also promotes systemic inflammation that raises the risk for these illnesses. So, for example, it can it, it can raise inflammation markers like tumor necrosis factor alpha, like uh, interleukin six, and what this does is it actually signals. Uh, many times, it can signal your immune cells to go to the site where the fat is and actually start to uh, you know activate inflammation you have to remember that fat in and of itself is inflammation okay it causes inflammation It causes it's almost like having a sprained ankle basically okay so it actually calls a lot of your immune cells to that area whether it's your abdominal area whether it's uh, different areas in your body wherever it is it doesn't matter so the uh, you know and and that that call tag to uh the immune cells, which causes the inflammation markers you know is 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 not a good thing because it, it ba- basically it can eventually lead to autoimmune problems it can lead to inflammation er- in other you know areas of the body, wear and tear those types of things but remember your fat again is always storing and releasing okay it 's not just an inert object, so when you have fat cells that eventually die, you have new fat cells that come and take its place now, depending on your fitness, okay, um, if you, you know, if you're fit, then your fat is actually going to be, you know, burned and, you know, your new fat cells are going to come and they're going to be more fit than the old fat cells, but if you're not fit, then those old fat cells are actually going to, you know, replace it and expand in size and, you know, eventually just basically panic. And eventually have to deal with immune cells when they get there. So, you know, you know, obesity in general sends inflammatory signals, you know, in different areas of the body, and and you know, and then you also have to understand that your your um, abdominal fat, okay. Um, for example, men you see you, t- you see men tend to have more abdominal fat because a lot of times depending on you know their lifestyle, if they're eating a lot of fat, if they're eating a lot of sugar and stuff like that, many times their liver actually kind of gets, um, gets overwhelmed with a lot of fat. If your liver gets overwhelmed with fat a lot of times that can back up the fat into your digestive tract and that fat and all those little things, it's, it's actually called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and we used to think that that was uh, for alcoholics and which it is, um, but now we're seeing that even non-alcoholics actually have fatty liver. That fatty liver can actually back up into the digestive tract and actually cause weight gain in the digestive area, which can lead to, again, inflammation, which can lead to high cortisol levels, and, um, you know, that can eventually lead to things like heart disease and cancer and those types of things, okay? Um most people who actually have um, obesity around their their uh, gut area tend to also have uh, you know problems with insulin resistance and we can also have liver related insulin resistance as well so you've got a lot of issues that are going on in that area so you really have to watch out and that that includes watching how you're eating and you know the type of exercise that you're doing we know that the more muscles that you have the easier it is for your body to burn fat, but it's all about metabolic fitness it's all about getting yourself in a state of metabolic fitness where you your fat can actually store and release and burn the way it's supposed to, and um, you know getting yourself in the trend in the right direction because uh you know you you want to engage the process of weight loss that's that's the bottom line here okay so So you know, obviously there there are a lot of nutrients you can take that will help you. Um, You know, but again, exercising and eating right. You know, you can take all the nutrients in the world, but if you're not exercising, you're not eating right, you're not getting all the good, you know, the the good things uh, in you that are going to help burn your fat. If you're not going to be you know getting good sleep where you can promote fat burning and those types of things, then it's not going to help you. Okay, so. Just keep those things in mind uh, when you're wanting to lose some weight, you know, and this is applies to men or women. Next, deficiency. Let's talk about it. Vitamin B twelve. How important is vitamin B twelve and how is imp- how important is it as far as deficiency? Well, it's extremely important. Let's talk a little bit about the recent studies. They've shown that one in four adults is actually vitamin B12 deficient, and nearly half the population has suboptimal blood levels. Now, let's talk about bi- vitamin B12, uh, which is known as cobalamin. There's different types of it, and there's different sources of it as well. So, vitamin B12 is mostly, you know, exclusively found in animal animal tissues, such as you know, beef. Lean beef, liver, lamb, snapper, but it's also fine in salmon, and shrimp, and scallops, poultry, and eggs. Okay, this is where you get the bulk of your vitamin B12. Now, the uh, you know, few plants are um, are actually sources of B12. A lot of people will think that you can get vitamin B12 from your plant diet you actually can't get it from there because the B12 that is found in plants is actually B12 analogs and an analog is basically a substance that blocks the uptake of the actual B12 in your body anyway okay so you really can't get it from a plant based diet for the most part okay so that's why if you're let's say a vegetarian if you're a vegan you want to make sure that you're you're getting a good source of vitamin B12 whether it's through your supplementation or whatever it is but it's very important now why is it so important to your th- your health because this is the reasons why your body needs vitamin B12 okay number one for proper absorption proper absorption proper di- digestion number two for a healthy Im- uh, nervous system healthy nervous system function to help to promote uh, nerve growth and development okay uh, help with the regulation of formation of red blood cells also you need it for cell formation and longevity you need it for proper circulation for adrenal for adrenal hormone health okay you need it for mental clarity concentration and memory function and you need it for physical and emotional and mental energy okay again vitamin b12 is known as kind of the energy vitamin basically Okay, and just so you know, this is from Dr. Mercola, he did a good article on B12, so I'm going to just kind of highlight some of the things here and, you know, uh, just talk about the most important parts of it. Now, what are the signs of vitamin B12 deficiency? Well, they can be mental fogginess, problems with your memory, okay, mood swings, lack of motivation, feeling of apathy, fatigue, and lack of energy. Muscle weakness and uh, tingling in your extremities. Now, the thing about this, and a a lot of people, you know, specifically, you know, doctors, obviously, they may diagnose uh, other, you know, other types of uh, conditions where they may be just dealing with a vitamin D twelve deficiency. For example, depression, maybe fibromyalgia, maybe dementia those types of illnesses may actually be or have started from a vitamin B12 deficiency but a lot of doctors may not, uh, you know, may be diagnosing, uh, you know, fibromyalgia or dementia for example, but it could actually be stemming from a vitamin B12 deficiency. So that's something you got to think about, you know, when you're getting yourselves tested uh, for vitamins, you can get a vitamin test, a vitamin B12 test to see where your status is, okay. But also, you know, again, things like anemia, okay. Uh, vitamin B12 can result in a condition called pernicious anemia. Okay, that's another thing that, uh, that you can deal with. So, um, now, let's talk about, um, <coughs> you know, w- one of the things that that is very, very important, okay, um, that you have a thing in your body called intrinsic factor. Now, what is intrinsic factor? You're asking. Well, intrinsic factor is a uh, it's a molecule protein that you know you make in your stomach, basically. And uh, what it helps to do it it's actually designed to uh, help to um, digest the B12 that you're you know that you're ingesting. So, so basically, what it does is it grabs onto the B12 molecule and it helps to move the molecule through your stomach, through your small intestine, and then when it, you know, when it reaches the end of your small intestine, the intrinsic factor actually is absorbed first, but it helps to pull the B12, you know, through the intestine you know, for absorption. Okay, very, very important. Problem is that uh, a lot of people have low intrinsic factor, or you know, are very, um, your body is not making intrinsic factor for some reason. So if that's the case you can be taking in as much B12 as you want but if the intrinsic factor is not there to help you absorb it then you're not absorbing your B12 so that's another issue that you may have to be dealing with okay so you know you want to make sure that you're you're you know you're optimizing your B12 number one um, and you know again vegans and vegetarians run into problems where, you know, they don't get enough B12. You know, a lot of people, especially a lot of people that I talk to that are vegans and vegetarians, you know, the first thing I do is I make sure that they're getting a good quality B12 supplement because they want to make sure that they don't run on now. You know, B12 does get stored in your body, okay, it does get stored in your adrenals as well, so it takes a while for the, for the actual deficiency to kick in, but you have to remember that you know it slowly progressively can kick in over time so um so it's something you have to be aware of so you have to remember that couple of steps uh to determine you know whether you have you know markers for B12 deficiency for example if you're a vegan or vegetarian okay if you're over 50 okay that's an, uh, another thing that you should think about if you're taking any kind of antacids Or uh, any ulcer medication, I'm I'm sorry, medication. These have an effect on your B12 status. Also, do you drink maybe three to four cups of coffee a day? Why? Because coffee actually helps to strip away a lot of the B vitamins out of your system, okay, if you're drinking too much coffee. Uh, If you've had any kind of H. pylori infections, Uh, if you've been exposed to nitric oxide, okay, Um, if you suffer from indigestion or heartburn or any kind of gastric reflux issues these are all issues if you're dealing with them that you could you know run into b12 deficiency so uh, make sure now what I would suggest uh, again you know getting your b12 you know either from your you know from your um, your food for example if you're if you're a meat eater you're probably getting most you know most of your b12 from that if you're eating some fish you're going to get it from there as well Okay, um, but if you're not eating meat, if you're not eating fish, again, if you're vegan or whatever, um, or if your B12 status is low, get yourselves on a good multivitamin that has a enough B12. How much do you need? Well, it it depends. It depends on the person. But again, you know, you may notice a difference once you start taking the B12 and your energy and and that type of thing. So, you know, but you could start with uh, maybe 100 to 250 micrograms of B12 and go from there. Uh, many of you can work with your doctor on that if you see that you're deficient in lab tests. But B12, very, very important. Um, another thing to watch out for if you're getting B12 from a supplement. You want to get it, uh, when you look at the supplement, look at the back of it and see what type of B12 is in it. Okay, Because you want the B12 that that it's called either methylcobalamine methylcobalamin or um, adenosylcobalamin. Okay, those are the types of B12s you want. You want to try to stay away from cyanocobalamin. The reason is, is because your body has to detoxify cyanocobalamin first, which is a molecule of cyanide. Now, it doesn't mean the cyanide that you're going to, you know, that you're going to kill over and die if you... If you take cyanocobalamin, or you know, but it just it, your body has to donate energy in order to uh, detox the B the B twelve form of you know of cyanocobalamin. Okay, so get it in a, in, the, in the methylcobalamin form. It's the it's the it's the right um, it's the right form of B twelve that your body can use readily, and it's a better form. So I would suggest you do that. But B twelve is our spotlight today. Very very important make sure that you're not deficient in it and make sure you know you're getting enough through your food or through your supplementation again a good B12 supplement methylcobalamin is one of the best ways to get it and um, just make sure you keep that in the back of your mind alright those of you who work out on a regular basis want to make sure that you're doing everything possible to uh, get your... to make sure you're getting the gains or, or to getting the advantages of working out so, for example, if you're lifting weights and you're, you know, trying to gain muscle, there are things you can do that make sure that you're getting an optimal workout. Those of you who just want to maintain your healthy lean muscle body mass, again, these are things you can do. This is from Mark Sisson, Mark's Daily Apple. He's got some great tips here. I'm just going to go over them quickly. I'm going to highlight, you know, just the main ones. But these, this is seven things you may be doing that may impair your workout recovery. So number one is stress that's right stress why because you have to you have to understand it. recent research confirms and I'm going to quote this that mental stress impairs workout recovery it doesn't you know it doesn't speak in generalities uh, but 31 undergrads were uh, were assessed for stress levels using a battery of psychological tests then uh, engaged in a heavy lower body strength workout uh, at an hour post-workout, the students in the high-stress group had regained 38% of their leg strength, while students in the low-stress group had regained 60% of their strength back. Kay? so, uh, And also an earlier study showed that tissue healing, which, uh, which our muscles do, you know, in order to recover, is impaired during times of stress okay you got to remember that when you're when you're that exercise in and of itself the workout in and of itself is a stress in your body you have to remember that okay workout in and of itself even though you have to work out you have to you have to do some kind of um exercise to your body and you, you know that's good it's a good thing because eventually it's it, it leads you you know getting uh healthy in, in and you know down the road but but the workout in and of itself, your body cannot tell the difference between you working out or you actually in a high-stress environment. Okay? So when you work out, you do send inflammatory signals to those sites of the places where you work out and just, just generally all around your body. So it's a stress in and of itself. What you don't want is to add stress on top of that because what happens is the body uses that period in between the workouts to recover from the inflammation that you just gave it <laughs> in the workout. Okay, what you don't want is to have stress in between or at least try not to have stress in between the workouts because that's going to impede it because remember stress uses up your adrenal glands, stress uses up your your proteins, it uses up all these different types of antioxidants in your body and those adrenals and those antioxidants and those proteins are used in between your workouts to actually help to facilitate the repair. So, you want to make sure you're using all the antioxidants and everything you need in between the workout to repair your muscles and to repair your body in general. That's why you don't want stress, or at least high stress anyway, because you know all of us are stressed to a certain extent. Next, excessive calorie restriction. You do not want to do that in between your workouts or re- your workout recovery. Why? Because you need calories to recover from your workouts. Now it's not a problem if you just want to lose body mass at you know at any cost, but it's disastrous if you want to improve performance, get stronger, or get fitter. Okay, because you need calories to refuel your muscles and restock your energy reserves again to go you know to your to your you know to go throughout your day and then eventually to go to your next workout. Okay, so um, you know you, again if you're if you're working out with high intensity, you, you're you're breaking down muscle you're in an anabolic state okay so if you but your body's going to need the calories and need the fuel to help refuel and to help recover now next is inadequate protein that's another reason you could impair your workouts why protein extremely important if you're doing high intake High intensity exercise. It doesn't matter if you're doing weightlifting, if you're if you're jogging, if you're doing Zumba, if you're doing whatever it is. Okay, remember you're using your muscles. If you're using your muscles, you get into an anabolic state and you want to recover. You need protein because muscle needs protein to repair itself and recover from exercise. Okay, so it's very important to get a good high quality protein, whether it's from a whey protein, which is the most bioavailable. Whether it's from a brown rice protein, hemp pro, hemp protein or pea protein, those are very good proteins to use as well. But those proteins um, you know are gonna help you with recovery. Now you gotta remember also on a, as a side note that protein is very, very important in the synthesis of antibodies to fight infection. Specifically, whey protein is very good for that. So in the wintertime, if you were, you know, if you're dealing with if or if you don't want to Uh, You know, you want to deal with any kind of, uh, you know, colds and flus and those types of things. If you're getting adequate protein, your body's going to be able to synthesize enough antibodies to help against, you know, the colds and the flus and those types of things. But, again, you want to make sure that you're getting adequate amounts of protein. Next, lack of sleep. Very, very important. Okay, why? Because if you're not sleeping, it can impair exercise recovery in two ways. Number one, increasing cortisol and reducing testosterone production and lowering muscle protein synthesis. Now, sleep time is where your body is, um, secretes most of its growth hormone Okay, and that is where you know what you need to help your muscles grow. So you have to make sure you're getting adequate sleep that's, ex- that's a very very important rule. If you're if you're not getting adequate sleep, you're number one. You're impairing your growth hormone. You're impairing your testosterone. Um, you know you're 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 impairing just the overall work your your body needs to do to recover and to actually help to fuel the growth. But you're also, and this is very interesting. May, many people don't think about this. You're also increasing the risk of injuries when you actually do work out because. You know, poor sleep can actually lead to uh, decreasing balance and postural control. So, you got to understand that if you are working out, especially if you're using heavy weights, that can lead to poor technique and it can lead to, uh, you know, injuries in your next workout, okay? Next, nutrient deficiencies. Again, things like B12, but uh, other things. Things like zinc, things like magnesium. Why? These are key to um, helping to recover. Zinc is a key substrate for the production of testosterone. Magnesium you lose a lot of your magnesium in your sweat so if you're doing high-intensity workouts and you're sweating you're losing magnesium in that so you want to make sure that you're replacing your magnesium okay whether it's through your diet or getting it through a magnesium supplement okay but make sure you're getting high-quality magnesium um, it's tougher to get magnesium from your diet because you know these days the magnesium uh, is very low in foods because of the soils and, and how they're grown so what I would suggest is getting a good magnesium supplement and just make sure you have enough but again zinc also is very very important again for testosterone also for thyroid Okay, thyroid hormones um, it's one of the it's one of the things that helps with the conversion process in your thyroid so you want to make sure you're getting adequate zinc um, you can also get zinc from your, you know, from your red meat as well, if those of you who eat red meat. But uh, nutrient deficiency is very, very important. Again, things like antioxidants, make sure you have enough antioxidants on board to do what you need to do. And finally, the last one, infrequency of workouts. So, for example, are you not consistent? Are you only the weekend warrior that shows up every once in a while? Okay, consistency is very, very key. Um, because you, um, you want to make sure that you are you know, I, I would say consistency, I'm saying maybe three to four times a week. If you're, you know, if you're in a good mode, um, consistency, because you're, if you can't, if you can't get into a consistent regimen, then you're really not going to, you're really not going to make the gains you want, whether it's in weight loss or weight gain or or whether it's in, you know, um, muscle gain. Okay. So you have to make sure that you are consistent. Um, with your workouts, very very important, um, and you know, I would always suggest to do them at the same time every day, know uh, at a time where you're not going to be, um, you know, you're not going to be disturbed, because this way you can get your workout in with minimal problems, and uh, and then go from there. Okay, so those are my suggestions for those of you who are working on it on a regular basis. I hope that helps you. For those of you, you know, just give you some tips on. Uh, better workouts in general so that was it for this week I hope you guys got some good tips this week from the articles Uh, again if you have a question for me you can go to georgebatista.com just go to the contact me section and you can type in your question there it's a a lot easier now and um, and uh, we'll go from there so hope you guys have a good week I will speak with you next week until then have a great week stay well be well eat well take care
1: for
0: expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com local today.
1: Check out the latest footwear innovation from Adidas, the Adizero Adios Pro 2, which features carbon fiber energy rods that are both lightweight and precisely tuned for a more anatomical transition. Everything from the ultra-light polyester upper to the re-sculpted midsole and the reinvented outsoles are designed for speed. Visit adidas.com to learn more today.